My name is Linda Rogers, and this is Investing Forward. back talking about water after seeing quite a bit of interest in the topic on my website blog and with clients. If you have started looking into water investments, you may have found that there actually aren't that many water focused ETFs and they pretty much all track different indexes. Invesco was on season two, episode five, talking about PHO. And I really enjoyed that conversation. So you should take a listen if you haven't already. One thing I know I learned was that was mentioned was that in addition to identifying companies, creating products that conserve and purify water for homes, businesses, and industries, there's also a screen they do to identify companies that participate in the green economy. In my search for some other water funds out there, I came across Ecofin Global Water ESG Fund. Ecofin focuses on sustainable investments and is dedicated to uniting ecology and finance. So right there, that's pretty unique. And they have sustainability baked into seemingly everything they do and the investment products they offer. Their water fund, ticker EBLU or EBLU, has some ESG factor requirements in its methodology, and it's one of the lower cost water funds. Joe Flores from the team is here to join me and tell you more about his company as well as the water fund. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Linda. Uh, my name is Joe Flores. I'm a managing director at Tortoise Ecofin, and uh, yeah, very, very excited to be here. Based uh, based in the the Midwest, uh, just outside of Chicago, uh, where we are experiencing a little bit of a cold snap. Um, it's like I woke up and I was like in the 40s today, which is kind of crazy for June. But uh, but yeah, but happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. And do you want to tell a little bit just about your background? For example, I know you've got the Kaya, which I haven't seen that many people have. Maybe you can talk about that in some of your background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've uh, been in the industry uh, almost 25 years, which is kind of crazy to say. Um, uh, kind of born and raised in, in the Midwest here in the Chicago area uh, and started work uh, just right right, um, right toward the end of the 90s uh, with an old mutual fund company called Kemper Mutual Funds. Uh, which is now part of uh, DWS, I believe. Uh, but uh, started there on uh, on the inbound sales desk and uh, kind of worked my way up uh, through business development and, and relationship management type roles. Uh, had a couple of pit stops with uh, with other firms, uh, you know, doing various different types of distribution roles and whatnot. But uh, but landed with uh, with Tortoise Ecofin uh, back about. Uh, gosh, uh, Baker's dozen years ago, 2010 is when I started with the firm. So it's been uh, it's been pretty wild that it's already uh, been 13 years. But yeah, I've been with the firm for about 13 years or so. Uh, work with a variety of different clients so over my career. I've worked with family offices. I've worked with uh, registered investment advisors, broker dealers, uh, insurance companies, pretty much any you know any type of client, institutional uh, asset managers, uh, institutional um, allocators. So yeah, I've, I've talked with just about everybody. But um, but yeah, but the but the Kaya back to the, the point on the Kaya. You know, it was interesting about ten years ago or so. Uh, I, I, my boss at the time had had said, "Hey, you know, you should think about doing something from a continuing education standpoint." 
uh, and I agreed. And and I didn't really have the the desire to manage money, I guess, really. So the CFA wasn't you know, necessarily in, in my wheelhouse. I was a little intimidated by that, uh, <laughs> to be frank. But um, you know, the CFP, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever do that. Uh, I give a lot of credit to, to folks like yourself that you know have gone down that path and uh, do uh, financial planning for for individuals. But I didn't know if that was exactly my, in my wheelhouse. But the alternative uh, investments world was was uh, really starting to kind of percolate and and become a little bit of a bigger part of allocations. Uh, so, I, and I just found it interesting. I, th- I thought, at least I thought at the time that hedge funds were interesting, which they are. Uh, but, you know, the Kaya covers a lot of different things, private equity, uh, real estate, uh, a whole host of, you know, non, I guess anything outside of stocks and bonds really. So uh, yeah, I took the, uh, took the Kaya, took me a little bit of time to get it under my belt, but I ended up getting, uh, getting that designation back in 2014. So Yeah, no, I was going to say, don't sell yourself short. I would put it right up there with the CFP, CFA. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard test. I looked at the materials before for the same reason, just very fascinated with that space. The CFP for sure does not cover the alternative space in the proper detail. Um, So. No, they, they, they've done a fantastic job, uh, and I've gotten to know a few of the folks over at uh, over at the Kai organization. And uh, yeah, they just continue to uh, to make headway and build out uh, just a fantastic program and a, and a really good community of, uh, of other charter holders. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, very cool. Well, good. Tell me some more about Tortoise Ecofin. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Tortoise Ecofin is headquartered in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, actually, well, technically Overland Park, Kansas. So it's actually on the Kansas side, but Kansas City broadly. So a lot of, a lot of Chiefs fans and, and Kansas Jayhawk fans down there. Uh, but, uh, but the, the group is, is headquartered down in Kansas City. Uh, we have an office in London, uh, as well, which is, uh, where some of my colleagues that focus a little bit more of their time on, uh, energy transition uh, strategies and decarbonization strategies broadly, but uh, as it relates to Ecofin, Ecofin is a, a sustainable investment management firm, uh, thematically focused on a couple of different areas. So, climate is going to be one of those. Uh, water is going to be one of those. Kind of ties into climate as well a little bit. Um, social infrastructure is uh, is an area that Ecofin is involved with. Uh, and then finally, waste in, in waste transition uh, are kind of the big areas that that Ecofin is uh, is involved with. So on the whole, uh, Ecofin manages a little over two billion dollars uh, currently, and that's across a lot of different vehicles and uh, different strategy types. But but again, thematically focused on those uh, on those areas. So uh, been around for uh, for a long time. The I guess the roots of Ecofin go back to the early '90s, uh, but really kind of started to take shape in the in the mid 2000s or so and uh, and have built out a pretty good reputation and uh, and a pretty good breadth of of offerings i guess since that time. Great. How did you find yourself working there? Yeah, absolutely. So um so so Ecofin, like i said um Ecofin has been uh, has been around since the early 90s. Um definitely more focused on the sustainability side of of the business. Tortoise uh has had roots back to the early 2000s or so. Um, and really had made a name for themselves in uh, energy infrastructure and, uh, you know, pipelines in, in that world. And when I was, uh, I guess this is 2010 timeframe or so, um, I had received a, a phone call from, from a recruiter that I had known for a few years uh, and asked me if I, had knew, if I knew anything about 
uh, master limited partnerships and MLPs. And I, I did, thankfully, to uh, due to an opportunity that I had in the mid 2000s with another firm, uh, but had learned a little bit about MLPs and, and thought, you know, this is funny for me at the time. Uh, the 10 year treasury was yielding about 375. And I thought to myself, well, you know, it's, there's no way it's going to go lower. Uh, it's pretty, you know, and, and people are always going to need income and retirees are going to need income. And that's what, you know, in a lot of cases, um, in ML, MLPs, you know, people would utilize MLPs for income replacement. So I, uh, I took the, the leap and, and joined Tortoise, uh, at the time. And then over the course of the, you know, the 10 years, you know, 2010 to 2020, the firm had evolved as well too and, uh, built out capabilities, uh, in, within some of the strategies that Ecofin offers. And so, um, yeah, it's been, it's been kind of an interesting journey, but, uh, initially it was the MLP story that uh, was interesting for me. And then it's evolved into, you know, kind of a broader real assets, uh, story with, with the bent towards sustainability. So. It was kind of an interesting, interesting journey for us, uh, but uh, but a lot of really, really cool things and a lot of a lot of just uh, fascinating things to learn about as well, too. Did, I didn't really know much about energy transition. I didn't know much about renewables. And uh, it's just been a fantastic uh, learning experience for me. Yeah. I, and it's a unique path from other people I've talked to on the podcast. So that's why I'm so excited to have you and your perspective. Um, so what would you say is the case for investing in water-focused companies? It's going to kind of be our theme for today, even though I know your company does cover other things. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the water, you know, it's interesting for me for the water story, Linda. And, and um, you know, as I think back to my career, you know, talking about, you know, the mid-2000s, at the time I was with an organization um, that's now part of Guggenheim uh, Investments, but uh, I was part of an organization called Claymore, and we had uh, brought to market a, a water strategy um, that was that I didn't know much about at the time. But it was interesting to hear that you know, if you think about the infrastructure that's built, um, you know, to transport water and to deliver water in the U.S., um, a lot of that infrastructure was was built, you know, decades ago, if not, you know, almost a century ago. I remember hearing a story about. You know, some of the, the pipes that were actually bringing water down into New York City, you know, two of which or a couple of them were, were you know, 80, 90 years old. One was over 100 years old. And, you know, the, the case at the time was, well, these pipes and, and all this infrastructure is really, really old and needs to be replaced. And there was a little bit of a groundswell in terms of interest in investing in water at the time. And what we found was uh, people were interested. People did want to talk about water. And then 2008 happened and the great financial crisis sucked up all of the oxygen, so to speak, you know, within that room. And, and it really, it took, it, it made a big impact on municipalities and, you know, the, the ability for new infrastructure projects to take place at the municipal level. And so that, that can, I guess the proverbial can ended up getting kicked down the road a bit. Well, the problem was, there was still that need to invest in the infrastructure. So while we, you know, while a lot of towns and municipalities ended up kicking the can, those water pipes and, and some of that infrastructure just continue to get older and older and older. So we still find ourselves in that position where the investment needs to take place to upgrade water infrastructure and, you know, both in front of the meter and behind the meter, so to speak. Um, and that that challenge is still there today. And uh, it, it's becoming more and more of a, of a problem and more, more of an opportunity for if you look at it, the, you know, 
from that standpoint, I guess. But uh, definitely, it's something that is really it's non-negotiable. I mean, everybody needs clean water. Everybody needs you know safe access to to drinking water. Um, so it's it's just one of those opportunities that it, you know it's still there. It's not going away. And we would you know there's I guess there's figures that are out there that you would think that there's probably somewhere in the need of of 500 billion to a trillion dollars invested in infrastructure just to you know to make sure that everybody's on on a straight and narrow path for going forward so there's still a great opportunity uh, for for water and water infrastructure that's just domestically here um as we think about it you know on a global basis there's about 2 billion people currently in the world that that lack access to safe drinking water um, there's over 2 billion to almost two and a half billion people that live in countries that there's significant water st- stresses and, and stressors where they just, they don't have access to water either from a sanitation standpoint or from a drinking standpoint. Um, so it, it is a, you know, we think about some of the issues domestically here as replacing water infrastructure and, and modernizing the water infrastructure grid um, in other parts of the world. It's just a function of getting access to clean water, um, you know, to, to empower the local economies there. And that's just a big challenge that, uh, that we see globally. Good. So Ecofin Global Water ESG Fund, that is the water fund that you have on the market. Can you talk about how it differs from some other water-focused ETFs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think the probably the biggest differentiator for us, uh, for, the, for the strategy, Linda, is um, the fact that when we launched it, we recognized that some of the other strategies out there, um, they may they may allow for inclusion of some companies that may may not necessarily be exactly a water company as as you might think of on you know from this from the onset so we were we were very intentional about having a minimum water exposure you know how much how much revenue is actually coming from you know an underlying company's um revenue streams so as we think about it from a purity standpoint, companies have to have at least 50% of their revenues coming from water industry related activities, or they must be able to, to, to generate at least 40% of their revenues from the water industry. They have to be ranked in the top five companies by total revenue coming from any one particular you know water sub industry and I can touch on that in a second I guess and then who's the the principal source of revenue comes from the water industry itself so um, we put some parameters around how much is actually being generated from water related activities I, I, I mentioned you know the sub industries as far as water goes you know we think about some of the sub industries as you know, water utilities, um, water infrastructure companies, which are going to be different, right? The infrastructure companies are the ones that are actually, um, you know, providing water distribution, uh, or they're they're helping to to increase water infrastructure and and, and modernize that water infrastructure. Um, water equipment and services uh, companies that are 
are actually you know putting the the pumps and the valves and the filtration pieces together um, you know to uh, to supply to some of those utility companies and those infrastructure companies. So uh, again, it's really it really comes down to the fifty percent minimum you know from a from a revenue standpoint or a combination of that at least forty percent of the revenue and some of those other um, of those other items that I mentioned before too. Um, you had mentioned I think when we were kicking things off a little bit before too is just as far as the sustainability component and what makes it a little bit different um you know that was that was an important part for us Linda as we were as we were putting the strategy together um you know we recognized that factors environmental factors and and ESG factors right that those were becoming more and more material as we as as just the the asset management industry was uh, was maturing in the sustainability world, particularly. So we had partnered uh, and, and we've utilized uh, information that Sustainalytics has put together. Um, Sustainalytics, uh, for, for the audience that, that's listening to this, uh, Sustainalytics, if you're not familiar, it's the largest pure play investment research and ratings firm dedicated to responsible investment and, and ESG research. So um, as we were putting the the methodology together for the fund, um, we wanted to look at criteria that was important from a from sustainability standpoint. So what we included in uh, into eBlue's methodology was that it had portfolio companies had to have an ESG risk rating less than thirty uh, in order to be included into uh, into the process into the into the underlying fund. Um, at least 80% of the market cap of the index must meet the required ESG risk rating criteria. And we do also, we're very cognizant of if somebody actually, if a company falls out of those risk ratings, um, that's an important part for us as well, too. So any existing you know, company, portfolio company whose ESG risk rating is between a 30 and a 40, and this is... I, I had to have this explained to me not too long ago, but it's uh, sustainalytics. It's, it's it's almost it's similar more to golf. So, but the lower the number, the better. Um, so, if you start to see you know the ESG risk ratings uh, drift above thirty nine point nine nine, right? So, getting closer to forty for three consecutive quarters will be removed, and then any constituent company where the risk rating increases to 40 or above will automatically be removed at the next balance. So um, it's, you know, if you think about sustainability and, and the integration of ESG factors into, uh, you know, into the methodology, it's a very, very critical piece for us. And we think that's a little bit different than uh, some of the other strategies that are out there on the market today. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And I mean, wonder if you can share an example or two of, um, a holding that's in the index that kind of demonstrates what exactly you're trying to get at. All of this information, Linda, it's a great question. All the information is available on ecofininvest.com. Um, but one company that um, that I can I can mention here that, and you can actually see this in our sustainability and impact report, which which is also on the website. Um, but it's a company called Ecolab, and I know Ecolab, and I think many of you probably know Ecolab. Uh, because they, I feel like, especially I, I pay attention to hand sanitizers now, and you, you tend to see a lot of the hand sanitizers in 
grocery stores and whatnot. And that's an Ecolab obviously does that as well because there are brand names all over it. But um, but Ecolab is a portfolio company uh, that falls into our master theme of of technology and and process innovation, right? So so really, um, how does technology? How can we how can we make things better with technology? And that's something that that Ecolab is involved with. So Ecolab provides um, water and hygiene and infection prevention solutions uh, and services all over the world. Uh, they have a few different uh, a few different divisions, but the global industrial segment is the one that we're actually very um, very interested in because it offers water treatment and cleaning and sanitizing solutions. Um, the company's been around for just about a hundred years or so. Uh, it's headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, and they are Ecolab is is the global leader in terms of water solutions. You know, again, hygiene and infection services, prevention services um, that help protect you know over three million people, three million customers, I should say, uh, on, a, on a worldwide basis. Ecolab is is part of one of those leaders within the water world, and they've been able to help conserve over 206 billion gallons of water uh, in 2020. Um, they've been a fantastic partner in terms of helping to reduce waste. Um, in 2020, they, they actually helped customers avoid 77 million pounds of waste, uh, which is just a fantastic part of the, the overall story from a sustainability standpoint. Um, and then also finally from kind of Basing, basing off of a 2018 baseline going into 2020, Ecolab actually reduced overall, overall water impact by about 12% on a per unit production basis. Um, so they've been just really, really a, a strong leader as far as uh, being out you know, in front of the water industry and helping to um, helping to, to reduce and also increase just opportunities for you know, safe water and, and access to clean water. Yeah, good. That's a great example. Uh, anything else that you want to share with investors interested in sustainable investing? Um, yeah, I would just say that, that, that everybody, and we talk about this on on our podcast, Linda. It's um, it's a little bit of a journey that everybody is is kind of figuring out on you know how to go about and and where they want to go to. So I think there's some fantastic resources. You know, podcasts like yours. Um, you know, podcasts like Sustainability Matters, the one the shameless self uh, promotion there. But I mean, but, you know, sustainability is definitely something that is on the rise. And there's a lot of uh, fantastic uh, resources that are out there for investors to to utilize, um, almost probably too many to, to name into, I guess, at this point. But there's a, there's the room in the tent for everybody. And I think that's what everybody just needs to understand is that, um, you know, we're all trying to row in the same direction, but we can, we can absolutely use, you know, more hands and, and more minds and great thought leadership, um, you know, from, from different corners of the world, from the investment world, from, from, uh, you know, corporate America, from public and, and private opportunities as well, too. So I think there's just a, there's a great opportunity from the sustainability standpoint on a, on a going forward basis for investors. Yeah. And I will definitely put a link to your podcast, which I have listened to. That's how I found you and and also really enjoyed it. Um, is there any other way? What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you? Are you active on social media or 
Is the yeah. podcast the best thing to listen to? I, I would say from uh, from from an accessibility standpoint, uh, feel free to, to uh, check me out on LinkedIn. I, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn from a social standpoint. Um, you know, from the from the podcast side, uh, we do try and release podcasts on a pretty consistent basis. So uh, you can either check out Spotify or check out iTunes for or wherever you get your podcast from. But we generally try and uh, try and update some type of some type of. Um, uh, episode maybe every other week or so for the most part. Um, one that will be coming, I think that some of your listeners will probably be interested in is we actually interviewed a woman from um, Catherine Sorensen, who was a professor at Arizona State University, uh, very involved with water and uh, water conservation and increasing water efficiencies as well, too. And that's actually going to be coming up pretty soon, but, uh, but a great resource though as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you for having me, Linda. I really appreciate it. You can find links to Joe's LinkedIn page, Ecofin's Sustainability Matters podcast, and eBlue's product page at investingforwardpodcast.com. My name is Linda Rogers, and this is Investing Forward. If you liked what you heard, leave us a rating, subscribe, and stay tuned for next time. Linda Rogers is the owner of Planning Within Reach, a registered investment advisor. Planning Within Reach produces the podcast and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Linda Rogers and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinions and are not necessarily the views and opinions of Planning Within Reach. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become Planning Within Reach clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of Planning Within Reach may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. The Investing Forward podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, or conduct your own due diligence.